Hello and welcome to this Brussels to Beijing policy podcast from S&P Global Platz. I'm Siobhan Hall, Platz's expert on European Union energy policy based in Brussels, and I'm joined from London by Bunker News editor Jack Jordan and LNG managing editor Desmond Wong. Today, we're talking about how policy is driving take-up of lower emission shipping fuels, and in particular, liquefied natural gas, or LNG. This is a topical issue, with new EU rules requiring large ships using EU ports to start monitoring and reporting their emissions from January the 1st next year. And at the global level, ship owners will have to reduce the sulphur content of the fuel oil they use from 3.5% to just 0.5% by January the 1st, 2020 which is only two years away. So Jack, how do these policies encourage take-up of LNG as a shipping fuel? Well, LNG is the shipping fuel with some of the lowest emissions levels and sulphur content, and fuel standards are likely to get even stricter over time, so investing in LNG-fueled ships is a way to future-proof your fleet. Ships last about 25 years on average, so decisions taken now will still have impacts in the 2040s. Right, so the 2040s. So investing in LNG ships is a long-term play. Des, how do the economics stand up? Is LNG cheaper than the alternatives? Well, LNG is cheaper than low-sulfur marine gas oil and even conventional fuel oil used, you know, with if you add scrubbers into the cost as well. But LNG-fueled vessels cost more on their own. And the uh, fuel tanks uh, of LNG-fueled vessels take up more space. So you're going to end up with less room for cargo or passengers or that sort of thing. So you're going to have to look at payback times when you buy your vessel. And you have to look into the routes that you uh, run because you'll have to see if you can get LNG along the way. Ah, right. So you mentioned there that the routes used are important. I know the EU has goals to introduce LNG bunkering facilities in all core EU seaports by 2025 and core inland ports by 2030. But what's the situation like outside Europe? Not as good. Now, for Europe, they've got all of those new refueling infrastructure uh, projects coming up under 10T. And in the US, they've got a domestic push for it at their own ports. But if you're going to Asia, you're not going to get a lot of infrastructure for LNG bunkering it. At the most at the moment, you have one major hub offering it. And that's in Singapore and um, potentially in China down the line as well because they have um, small-scale LNG. But elsewhere, it's going to be limited. There is, of course, a way around that problem of lack of infrastructure in Asia if you're taking on ships with larger fuel tanks. Uh, For example, the latest big news on LNG bunkering is that French shipping company CMA-CGM has ordered nine container ships fueled by LNG and has a contract with Total to refuel them. This is a big expression of confidence in LNG as a bunker fuel for even the largest ships in the world. Previously, it's mostly been used for smaller passenger vessels, and that's a very different market. Well, just out of curiosity, which routes are these new uh, container ships following? They haven't yet specified the routes, but a spokesman told me a few weeks ago that they would have 18,000 cubic meter tanks that would be sufficient for a full round trip for refueling. And by that, I'd assume they mean a trip between Europe and Asia, presumably French ports. Right, so... This is clearly a really interesting area to watch. Um, I saw that the European Commission estimated last month that the EU would need to invest up to 945 million euros in seaport infrastructure by 2025 and up to 1 billion euros in inland port infrastructure um, to support LNG as a marine fuel. So how many LNG fuel ships are there operating now? 
Uh, it's around 100 worldwide, not including the LNG carriers that burn their own cargoes. So it's a tiny market at the moment, and likely to remain so until the infrastructure develops. But by 2030, some are now saying LNG could take up to a 5 to 10% share of the global bunker market. That would displace between 12.5 and 25 million tonnes a year of gas oil or fuel oil demand. And it's important to note that that's equivalent to about how much LNG Qatar produces in a year. So that, that means quite a bit for global gas demand. Wow. Now, I know that the uh, European gas industry has really high hopes for new demand from the shipping sector because demand in its traditional sectors on land, um, it's really likely to be flat or even declining in the long term because the EU has these goals to decarbonize its economy by 2050. What may help with those high hopes is the fact that we are expecting some further IMO rules on reducing nitrogen and particulate matter, for example, these emissions from shipping, and those emission reductions would also favour LNG use. We could see rules like that coming into force over the next decade or two, and it'd be interesting to see who follows CMACGM now they've come out with this announcement and uh, follows them investing in lng fueled ships. If things go uh, well for these container ships, that'll be a big signal to the market that LNG ships of this size can be economical. Essentially, 2020 is that crunch date, because if there's no uptake in LNG ships by then, we could see ship owners simply sticking with uh, fuel oil and scrubbers um, to get rid of the problem or switching to low sulfur uh, gas oil. And the thing to note with the uh, 2020 date is that people thinking about buying LNG fueled ships are presumably going to be announcing their plans by early next year at the latest, if they want to have them operational before 2020. When it comes to scrubbers, they can be fitted to existing ships, so that's an easier decision that can be taken a little bit later. We also know that there's going to be a big wave of fleet renewal coming within the next few years, and the thing to watch with that is whether this global fleet renewal is just going to come slightly too early for LNG to be a mainstream fueling option. So can you refit ships to run on LNG? No, it's not really a practical or economical option to retrofit them at the moment. The trouble is that LNG fuel tanks are very different from conventional fuel tanks. They take up a lot more space on board and need different conditions. So it's not really practical just to remove the conventional fuel tanks and slot in an LNG version. So we've got this emerging demand for gas in the shipping sector. How is it being priced? Well, at the moment, uh, anyone who's using LNG as a market fuel right now is doing so through bespoke contracts. So there isn't really a spot trade around it for one. Secondly, there's no real unity in pricing formula because the only real common element that we're hearing from uh, market participants is that everyone wants it linked to their sort of original fuel. Uh, what that means is that contracts are priced against fuel oil or gas oil or, or diesel or whichever fuel that that company was originally using for their vessels. And most of these um, counterparties are ship owners or, or shipping parties, and they don't really want to have to deal with gas pricing or international LNG pricing. They want it related to something that they recognize. Ah, right. So it's like how um, oil indexing started in the European gas markets. Then the gas was priced at a discount to crude and heating oil, I mean, specifically to encourage switching. Uh, exactly. But uh, in this case, um, LNG as a bunker fuel is, is uh, discounted against fuel oil or, or gas oil. I mean, the last thing that we heard from the market was that Gasnor, the, um, the Shell subsidiary, was looking um, at introducing a formula that was about a 30% discount to marine gas oil. So at this point in time, LNG is fundamentally long for quite some time. So these discounts to your existing fuel can be quite attractive. 
and as I was saying before, this is all about future-proofing fleets. And energy is one of the cleaner fuels on all counts, and the long-term growth potential is huge if the right infrastructure is put in place. Right, so this is all interesting stuff. Gas is cheap, it's clean. The gas industry really wants this. It's clearly a very interesting topic, and it's one we'll be following very closely here at Platts. So thank you, Jack and Des, for your insights. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening and tune in next month for more Platts Perspectives on Policy.